Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting Friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. Welcome into this Golf Channel podcast presented by Top Golf. I'm your host, Will Gray. Pleased once again to be joined uh, on a quasi regular basis here by Golf Channel analyst Brandel Chambly. Brandel, thanks for, for taking the time and, and catching up here. Quasi regular. I think that, that might yes. describe me. That might That's, describe me. Well, it's, it's within, <laughs> within the podcast realm. You're, you're more frequent than, than many others because we love to get your thoughts on a, on a variety of, of subjects. That uh, they come up, especially in a time as busy as this summer. So I look forward to talking to you always. You well, you do a great job. So well, thank you. Happy thank to you. help. Uh, so we will start, uh, not surprisingly, with one Eldrick Tiger Woods, uh, who tied for fourth this past week at the Quicken Loans National amid what I think everyone would agree was a a pretty watered down field uh, at TPC Potomac, but still a Sunday 66, a solid result. He's inching up. The world rankings now 67th, still on the outside looking in, trying to get to Bridgestone. But let's just start big picture, Brandon. What was your your takeaway from Tiger this week in the nation's capital? I think it's still, you know, it's consistent with what I've said in the past. I'm still just flabbergasted at what Tiger Woods is able to do. Um, you know, this golf swing is is unlike any of the previous. I'll pick your number four or five that he's had. Uh, I, I suppose it's closer to the golf swing he used in 2000, but um, it's it's an awesome golf swing to watch. I mean, um, I don't know. I really don't know if there's anybody that swings better than Tiger Woods. Um, there, but he's got like two different, you know, there's two different Tigers, you know. If he can hit a cut shot, um, he looks invincible. But when he has to hit a draw, he looks completely out of sorts. So he could, Maybe he's afraid of missing the left. I don't know, but I, I, I'm I'm sure it's it, it, it's mental. I mean, there's nothing technically that you can find wrong with his golf swing when he's trying to hit a cut. Um, it wouldn't be that hard. It seems like just to line up down the right, and, you know, close your stance a little bit, take it more to the inside, and and just think draw. But uh, like for example, the 18th tee, uh, he missed it in the right rough all four days. Um, but otherwise, I was you know I'm. I'm blown away. It looked like he um, put the pieces back together to some extent with his putter, although he was, the last time I looked, dead last inside of 10 feet. Um, but beyond that, he made more than his share of putts, 10 to 15, 15 to 20 feet or whatever. So um, it's just amazing to watch this comeback. I, I think he's on the verge of perhaps putting together one of, if not the greatest, comebacks in the history of sport, not just golf. 
Well, I was going to say, you're starting with the swing, the full swing, but I, I think a lot of the attention this past week went to the putter and his decision to, to actually switch putters. It seems like you get, you get some players that carry 10 putters with them at any given time, but you get other guys like Tiger who, who has been wedded to this Scotty Cameron for, for years and years, and now he comes out with this new tailor-made putter, and it actually kind of started to work for him. You, you noted that he was struggling from inside of 10 feet, but he did make a few putts. I, I wasn't up there this week, but I was up there at the U.S. Open where he missed the cut, and I was there at the Memorial where it seemed like he was trying to putt into a thimble at times, just could not, could not buy one. And so I guess are you surprised that he went to the extreme of switching out the Scotty, and then now what do you think going forward as he's, his next start is going to be at Carnoustie? Well, no, what do you expect from him on the green? Yeah, I mean, no time um, better to switch when you're kind of struggling to – I mean, really, I mean – the putter that he was using was, you know, I mean, that's technology from eons ago. And the one he switched to is, is a far more forgiving and it's all relative, but you know, pros missed the sweet spot on the putter head too. I mean, and why wouldn't you putt with a more forgiving as long as you can find one that sort of matches up your stroke. So he got a little bit more of a, you know, closer to the heel shafted putter, not, not quite like his 8802 that he practiced with that he talked about, but, I think it's a great idea. I mean, Jason Day has has done things on the greens that have never been done, um, and he's doing it with you know a, a more forgiving type putter. Um, you'd think as good as Jason Day strokes that he wouldn't need that, but why would you not use it when you can find something that that matches up? I mean, once you get over the initial inconvenience of the way it looks versus a traditional putter, so um, it's good to see. And you know, look, if if Tiger can figure out a way to drive it well. Uh, mentally, if he can get over this mental hurdle, because I'm convinced it's not a technical issue, um, because he can drive it so beautifully. Otherwise, uh, there's, you know, he's he's convinced me. I mean, um, you know, he's uh, he's doing things and is going to do things that are just gonna, you know, blow us away again. He really is. You know, it's just it's coming. This is what it looks like when it's coming back. You know, and uh, it's fun to watch. You know, Carnoustie is is a nasty golf course it it uh, depends of course on how they set it up but even under the best of conditions it's one of if not the toughest golf course in the open rota so tiger has shown an inability to have great versatility with his tee shots and an inability to finish off rounds under difficult conditions uh, but you, you i think everybody expects him to get over that it's almost like he's He's putting the pieces of the puzzle back together again as much mentally as he is physically and technically. Now, I've never seen him have to do that, but if you look at the way he's played, say, the back nine on Saturday this year when he's got himself into contention and the back nine on Sunday when he's got himself into contention, it's not as free. So we we all expect him to do it at some point, and, um, you know, I don't know that it'll be Carnoustie because Carnoustie is is very intimidating, and and that's where he's seemed to have stumbled a little bit under intimidating circumstances. But uh, but it's going to happen, and it's going to happen sometime this year. Well, I was going to say you're you're talking about putting the pieces together. We've seen him do it certainly this week at the Quicken Loans. We saw him do it at Valspar and at Bay Hill. Not quite on the major stage. It seems like he's using these these mid tier events to kind of. Feel his, feel his way through and, and see where the pieces lie. But now 
As I said, he's 67th in the world rankings, has to get into the top 50 by the end of the month to make it to Bridgestone. That's probably going to take about a top six or top seven finish at Carnoustie, depending on how things shake out. So it seems the likelihood is that his next two starts are going to both be majors at the Open and then at Belle Reve at the PGA. How do you feel like that stacks up, and do you feel like the game that he has currently constructed is good enough to contend for one of these last two majors of 2018? Yeah, well, I know Bell Reeve has had, you know, um, through the rumor mill, so to speak, I know it's had some problems with its greens, and I know that they're cutting the rough. Um, so the golf course is going to be stifling hot there, more like it was at D.C., and the conditions will be a little bit softer, which I think will make Tiger Woods a little more comfortable. Uh, it'll be more like D.C. Um, so... You know, again, it, it it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I I have asked been asked this question, you know, as we all have, nonstop since he came back. Can he win a major? And I just didn't think he would figure out a way to drive the ball well enough to win. This was some of the best he's driven the golf ball uh, at D.C. You know, all year. So, you know, if if he shows up at uh, Carnoustie and you know um, drives it even a little bit better. Well, then you'd look at the PGA Championship and you'd think, well, you know, there are only just a few people that can beat him when he's playing his best golf. I'm convinced of that. I mean, the world rankings uh, in no way right now tell you who he is as a player. Uh, he's he's far better than those world rankings. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's going to be great fun to watch. Let's turn our attention now to the guy who's going to be defending at Belle Reve next month, and that was Justin Thomas, who went across – to France and got himself a Ryder Cup preview at Le Golf National this past weekend, tied for eighth outside Paris. I guess two parts, or, or what are your thoughts on, on JT making the Ryder Cup scouting trip? It's, it's hard to believe that a player as decorated as he is will be making his Ryder Cup debut this fall. And then also, were you surprised that none of the other Americans followed suit? Maybe some of the guys in that 10 to 15 range didn't decide to go over and take a crack at a difficult course and use that as maybe a feather in their cap to distinguish themselves a couple months from now in the eyes of Jim Furyk for a possible captain's pick. Well, just watching the way this, this younger group of players in their own way embrace the Ryder Cup has been, you know, nothing short of a breath of fresh air. I mean, it's, it's reminiscent of, of the way, well, I mean, before Phil and Tiger, um, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think that it's um, any secret that they didn't really give the Ryder Cup their all. Um, certainly didn't embrace it the way these these young players have. And so it's it's great to see, and 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 I think it's cool. I mean, why why wouldn't you? I mean, why wouldn't you go to Paris on a quote unquote scouting trip? Hmm. Um, I mean, that's uh, that's just about as good a life as as anybody could ever dream of. You get to go play a sport for a living. You get to go to Paris. You're there doing a reconnaissance of a Ryder Cup golf course. Why wouldn't you do that? I am surprised that more players uh, didn't do it. But, again, you know, the FedEx Cup is its awfully alluring. I mean, you know, when you when you take a week off and you go over there, you know, every FedEx Cup point matters. I mean, this is, you know, people can, critics may roll their eyes when you start talking about FedEx Cup, but, I mean, $10 million is, is – you know, even for these guys, as rich take as they it. are. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, exactly. I'd be, willing to, I'd be willing to go into negotiations for $10 million. Right. Yeah. You know, I'll go to Paris in, in December, you know. I can have <laughs> a hell of a trip there, you know. Um, 
So, you know, both ways make sense to me. You know, staying at home and getting more FedEx Cup points, resting up for, you know, the the next couple of majors. You know, it. each player sort of weighs their pluses and minuses of where they are mentally and what they need to do at home and where their game is. There's a lot of different factors. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it was cool to see Justin go over there and, and play some solid golf and, I think that's going to be a fun golf course. Uh, the little I've I've watched it over the years. I think it's going to be a fun golf course for uh, there's some risk reward. It's always exciting to have a par five like that at the last, and uh, um, you know it'll be fun to watch. What some might call fun, others might call claustrophobic from from seeing that uh, finishing stretch there. It's a, I yeah. mean that's a tough track, but uh, but it is interesting. You know, looking at at the majors over the last year and a half, there's been a lot of American dominance in terms of. The trophy count, but then you, you have weeks like this past week where Alex Noren wins on the course that's going to host the Ryder Cup. John Rahm was in the top ten. Tommy Fleetwood won there last year. And then you've got Francesco Molinari, who's burning it up on both sides of the pond right now. Everyone likes to talk about how front-loaded and how stacked this American Ryder Cup team is going to be as they look to repeat the success they had two years ago at Hazeltine. But do you feel like the Euros are kind of flying under the radar with a team that could really be quite strong on a course that might even give them a bit of a home field advantage? Yeah, I think anybody that, that at least on the European side, when they hear that the United States is in great form and that you know there's, there's reason to worry if you're the Europeans, I think they probably chuckle a little bit, um, you know, besides the fact that they have the, um, you know, the, the home course, home field, home nation, country, so to speak, advantage. Um, they are a formidable group of players, and, um, you know, they uh, they do. They just have a history of, of, of playing better as a team, even though I think the U.S. has, has overcome that because, Again, I think Phil and Tiger um, are finally the leaders that they were meant to be, and these young players are are uh, invigorating the the Ryder Cup with with an energy that was lacking, um, you know, um, a passion and a and a commitment that was that was lacking to some extent um, that's freed that team up. So, you know, it, it could be you know we say it all the time. I mean, what's the greatest Ryder Cup ever? You know. Uh, People will say it's the war by the shore, 1969, the tie uh, over in Great Britain. But, uh, but this, this has that potential. It has that potential to be one of the greatest ever. You know, there's no way Phil's not going to be on that team. There's no way Tiger Woods isn't going to be on that team. And, you know, with all the young players and the form that the Europeans have shown, um, it used to be that, you know, Europe had three, four, five, really good players and then some other players that were sort of emboldened playing alongside of the Seves and the Jose's and the Bernard's and the McFaldos. But now then they're just, they're deep, you know, they're really deep. You know, you get down to the eight, nine, 10, 12, 11, 12 guys. And you look at them and you're like, geez, these guys are fabulous. Um, so, you know, it, it should be, um, it should be, you know, quite a brawl when they get there. It's, uh, you know, we've been talking about it. You know, there's not, there's no other event outside of the Masters in golf that has an anticipated buildup like the Ryder Cup. So, you know, it should be, it should be great for all of us to watch. I'm sure the countdown clocks uh, around the the GC headquarters will be 
chiming in pretty soon. <laughs> we're, we're getting there, and it's going to be a fun one. But you mentioned, ti you mentioned Tiger and Phil. I tend to agree with you. I would be shocked, uh, barring an injury from either one, uh, if Tiger and Phil were not uh, on the 12-man playing roster. I know Tiger's already in as an assistant captain. But it was interesting that last week Jim Furyk came out and said he would not uh, follow in Hal Sutton's uh, unfortunate decision to put Tiger and Phil together. We remember how, how that went so awry in 2004 at Oakland Hills. But the thought is now, you know, Tiger and Phil, they're kind of buddies again. They're at different parts of their career. Are you surprised that, that Furyk isn't at least considering a possible Tiger-Phil pairing? Or where would your head be with those two guys if you were in the captaincy? Well, I mean, historically, you look at Jack and, and, uh, and Tiger. I'm sorry, excuse me. Jack and Arnold played together, and uh, and you think, well, the two biggest players should play together. But you know, they, you know, even though Arnold had this reputation as a swashbuckling player, he and he and Jack played far more similar games. I mean, Arnold was a great driver of the golf ball, as was Jack Nicklaus. Um, you know, they they played far more similar games than 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 Phil and Tiger. I mean, you couldn't get guys that play more opposite types of golf. I mean, Phil is, for all his calculating practice rounds, he's still apt to try something that nobody's ever seen or thought of. Um, and he drives the ball, you know, very inaccurately. And he's used to taking big risks. And, you know, that's that's quite a bit different. You know, Tiger is one of the more conservative players, even though Tiger, yeah, he can drive the ball inaccurately too. But, but it's... Uh, you know, it's it's not that he's he, he's not swashbuckling. He's a very conservative type of golfer, and then also because it 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 had such catastrophic results <laughs> when they did try it yep. that it would put a weird kind of pressure and pall over the Ryder Cup and a lot of pressure on on Jim Furyk and the rest of the team. You know, it would be a, a sort of a, a live or die all with that one match. In, in essence, that's what it would feel like. So. You know, um, I think that's a wise idea out of Jim Furyk. Um, although when I saw Tiger and Phil play a practice round at Augusta, I thought it might be a preview of them getting back mm -hmm. and playing together. It would be, you know, it would be great. You know, it's what the whole world would love to see. But when you are trying to plot your way to a victory, it, it may not be the wisest thing to do. When it's been 25 years since you've won on the road, I think that uh, you have to be careful with your decisions, as you're saying. So we'll see how, how right. things shake out. Yeah. Right. Now, you know, if they had an advantage, you know, an, an astronomical advantage, um, the way the U.S. side does at, say, the last President Cup, sure. I mean, right. why not? I mean, on paper, they were twice as good as the international side, and the thing was almost over Saturday as, as it was predicted to be. Um, but this one is going to be a nail biter for sure. And every point, um, sort of every psychological, emotional, team bonding sort of, you know, trick that you can employ, you'd be you'd be wise not to not to do it. Well, I want to stay I mean, on wise the, to do it. Yeah, uh, I I tend to agree there. Uh, but I want I was going to say I want to stay on the topic of Phil here because there's there's not a lot of star power this week uh, as the PGA Tour returns to the Greenbrier, but he will be in the field, and this is going to be his first uh, competitive start since uh, slapping the ball across the green at the U.S. Open, and this kind of became the story that wouldn't die, and I think it was kind of by, by Phil's doing, right? So he comes out 
and says what he says on Saturday, and then he waits until Wednesday of the following week to issue an apology. And then last week, he had further statements while he was up in Chicago for the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. But, uh, you know, th there's, there's no do-overs. There's no mulligans. That, that five-second viral clip is going to be attached to Phil's legacy in some part. Uh, that's just how it's going to be. But I guess moving forward as he returns to competition this week, what do you want to see out of Phil as he gets back inside the ropes? What can he do? Oh, I think, you know, he's he's had his mea culpa moment. You know, it sounded like he was contrite. You know, it sounded like once he got removed away from the event that, uh, you know, he finally regained some rational um, reflection and thought, wow, that was and, – and saw the way everybody just universally reacted to what he did. It was – it, there's no equivalent given his position in the game, you know, and the only other equivalent you can come up with is John Daly. And, you know, we used to compare Phil to Arnold Palmer. Now we're comparing him to John Daly. That'll tell you, um, you know, just, just how ridiculous his moment was. Imagine if you were a father and you, you know, you bought a ticket for your, your kid to go out and watch the U S open, which would not have been cheap by the way. And you get out there and you're watching Phil Mickelson right there. Your kid's never seen him. And, that's your first impression of Phil Mickelson. You know, imagine a father trying to explain to his son or daughter what what he just saw and and how that's not golf. And also imagine the, the implications of it. You know, kids watching at home, they're impressionable. They see it and they think, oh, okay, that's a, that's that's supposed to be smart golf, according to Phil. So it was uh, it was just a look. It was it was equal amounts stupid, equal amounts funny. And then his, you know, once he um, basically indicted himself afterwards, it was it was bad all the way around that the USGA didn't disqualify him and that Phil didn't realize that he had, you know, indicted himself and then disqualify himself or withdraw. So the whole way around, it was just it was just bad. It was again, it was unfortunate that we spent so much time talking about the ridiculousness of of. Of Phil Mickelson and the USGA there that we were not talking um, about Brooks Kepka and Tommy Fleetwood and as much as we should have been. So um, I'm glad it's over and you know Phil will go back to being Phil. Uh, I'm sure he'll you know do something you know about every few months he does something just shocking either with his play or something he says. So you know he'll go back to being Phil and uh, you know he's he's entertaining to watch that's for sure. In the annals of Phil Mickelson seasons, this one is going to be high on the list. When you look back at his whole year so far, the win in Mexico, ending the victory drought, and then uh, whatever it is that we tried to describe at Shinnecock. And we're only into July. There's still a lot of meaningful <laughs> golf yet to be played uh, for, for Phil at 48 years young. But uh, it, was, it was interesting, and, and I'll be interested to see where, where he goes from here. Um, I want to turn our attention. It's going to be only two weeks now until the Open heads to Carnoustie. And at that point, the champion golfer of the year is going to roll back into town, and that is Jordan Spieth. And I want to get from you your overall level of concern for Team Spieth. He went through a run there, six out of seven weeks he had events, did not crack the top 20 in any of them. He has shown some marginal gains in putting. He says all the right things after the round about how, how his alignment is starting to fix itself but now he's seeing he's seeing the alignment issues he had in putting bleed into his full swing either way he's 177th right now 
in strokes game putting on, PGA, on the PGA Tour this season. He's not going to play again until he defends the Claret Jug. Your thoughts on uh, Jordan Spieth at the moment? Yeah, you know, if you go back and look at people who've, and there's not that many of them, who've had as big a forward press as, you know, Bill Glasson was, was a big forward press guy when he came out on tour, Phil Mickelson was. Um, they ran hot and cold with the putter. You know, it's it's uh, it's just not unusual to see somebody run hot and cold. And you know, Jordan Spieth doing what he's doing. Uh, you know, I think he's trying to figure out how to be more consistent. So he's questioning the things that have worked in the past. And so when you when you do that, you know, doubt doubt will freeze a player. You know, quicker than a bad back. Um, and I, I'm sure he sets up over almost every single putt with some doubt in the back of his mind. And, you know, it, it's going to be a while. He's going to have to have, you know, a, a run of very good putting sort of alleviate all that doubt. And, it, you know, it sounds to me like that he's, he's working on the mechanics of his stroke and um, he's working on his setup. You know, you always hear him say he's uncomfortable with his setup, which is – which is alien to me. It's like, you know, I mean, when people are uncomfortable with their setup, it's one adjustment and that's it. And it's like, Oh, I've found my spot. I'm back where I'm at. And, you know, and then things flow out from there. But uh, yeah, you know, if, if, if he's looking to be more consistent with his, with his putting, you know, there's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. You go changing things and it's tough to find your way back home. But, uh, you know, if I were Jordan, I'd, I, and I'm sure he's doing this, he's going back to looking at when he putted his best and he's trying to do as best he can get back to those same mechanics. It's pretty hard to find any difference in the way he strokes the ball now versus when he was making everything. So I'm sure it's, it's something very small. Um, you know, he's always had a quick tempo and he's always had a big forward press. So it sounds to me like, you know, there's, there's something going on between his ears cluttered up with data or um, information that he's getting um, or doubt. And, um, you know, I do, I, I do know that when you're as good as he is, it can turn around on a dime, though. I mean, it can literally turn around on a dime. When you've only got one thing really to fix in your game, you know, it's not like he has a lot of holes in his game. He's got one thing that's wrong with his game. So um, if he can somehow i mean you can you can turn it around in a day you can turn it around in a minute so he's a wild card for sure because of that you know, there's just no way he's going to win um without having a good week putting but uh but um you know it's it's a bit surprising that he hasn't played better this year that's for sure well it is interesting our our colleague ryan lavner had an article uh, on golfchannel.com this morning where he put them up against each other uh jordan spieth and tiger woods on a blind resume test and just put the stats out and it is it is interesting to look at at the numbers and you can almost make an argument that Tiger coming off back surgery has had a better season to date than Jordan Spieth who won a major last year and came in to 2018 as one of, as one of the top ranked players in the world Tiger 11 starts this year five top 12s only two missed cuts Spieth 17 starts four top 12s and five missed cuts it, it's it's amazing to see really just how close those two line up when you look at the numbers. Yeah, well, I mean, not many people are ever going to do very well when you're comparing them to Tiger Woods. If you think about <laughs> it, in 2013, 
So five years ago, Tiger was 37 years of age. Um, that's on the downslope of his career, um, past his prime, and he was better than a young Roy McIlroy. He was better than a young Jordan Spieth, an even younger Jordan Spieth. He was better injured with, you know, uh, psychological, you know, distractions and scandals sort of hanging in the air. He was better uh, on the downside of his career amidst all those injuries and, and scandal than some of the best players, players that will go down in the Hall of Fame when they were absolutely spot in the youth and the prime of their careers. That's not a knock on Rory. It's not a knock on Speed. It's just, yet again, just how amazing Tiger Woods has been in his career. Um, you know, it's you know, it, it's a great question. Who's going to win more majors in their career, Rory or Jordan Spieth? But looking at both of them, we're just reminded of how hard it is to do mm-hmm. what very few players, you know, Jack did it, Tiger did it, where they just go through their career, sort of no interruptions, no lulls. Um, there's there's, there's going to be sort of downturns in every career. It's just that Tiger spoiled us. If you go back and look at Phil, I mean, you think about it, I mean, Spieth is way ahead of the pace of Phil Mickelson. Uh, Rory's way ahead of the pace of Phil Mickelson, and Phil's going to go down as one of the greatest players ever. Um, yep. And, and you know, the, I don't expect Rory, or I certainly don't expect Jordan Spieth to lose his his passion. He'll keep chipping away at it, grinding away at it, and, and that, more than anything, is how you dig yourself out of a hole. It's just you've got to have perseverance, and Jordan Spieth has that you know, on par with the Tiger Woods, I'd say. Well, before we let you go, I, I do have to ask you, because July 22nd, Sunday, uh, is going to be a big day in the golf world. Someone's going to leave Carnoustie with the Claret Jug. But really, the, the true major championship is going to be played on Monday, July 23rd. And that is when you, Brandel, <laughs> are going to be teeing it up in qualifying to make the Senior Open, which this year will be played on the old course at St. Andrews, not a bad tee time if you can snag it. So heading into the, the home stretch here of prep, what's the state of the game? How are we feeling about your chances uh, to make the field? Uh, my game's pretty good. I've been practicing, you know, when I, when I could, obviously. You know, I, don't, I don't hit any balls the week of the U.S. Open. I won't hit any of the week of the Open, likely. But my game's pretty good. Uh, you know, I, uh, when I've played, I've played some, some really good golf. Um, I'm looking forward to it, you know, for a lot of different reasons. I want to try to get back into competitive golf, and I would love to, you know, have another week at St. Andrews. I've, I've had some wonderful experiences at St. Andrews in my life. I spent the summer in Scotland in 1982, and my buddy and I played about a, it was almost a 30-round tournament all summer long that started and ended at St. Andrews, and so I've got wonderful memories of that place. And then I've I went over and qualified for the 95 um, Open at St. Andrews. My golf was not particularly good. I can say that I tied Arnold Palmer. Now, in the <laughs> early 60s, that was quite a feat in the Open <laughs> Championship, not so much in 1995. But, uh, but I, had some, uh, I had a wonderful week, uh, regardless of, of my pitiful golf. But, uh, but now I can't wait, you know. Since 95, you know, I've gained such an appreciation for St. Andrews golf course architecture. And, you know, I can't wait to get over there and um, hopefully qualify and, and see what I can do and just, you know, get to play golf at the home of golf. So, um, but it's almost like I've had two jobs now, you know, for the last, 
I don't know, two or three months that I've been practicing because I get up in the morning, I go hit golf balls and come home and then I dive into my real job, which is to, Hmm. you know, study the game of golf as it's being played on TV. So it it has given me a, not that I had completely, you know, lost an appreciation for how hard the game is, but it, it certainly has given me a little bit more appreciation for just how amazing these tour players are. I mean, I, you know, I, I look at them and just, you know, I look at their range of motion and their speed and their flexibility. I was on the range at the Colonial and I stood behind Joaquin Neiman and just couldn't believe what I was watching. Somebody so fluent in the game at 19 years of age. And, um, as I went down the range, I just thought, my gosh, the game has completely changed. These players are so fast. Um, golf swings are so good so much speed there's so much precision um you know the game has just changed so much from even when i played it so you know it's it's been fun to to go back out and rekindle the feelings i used to get when i played the game and then to sort of compare those with where the game's at right now you know on the you know the pga tour that has really been fun so you know whether i qualify or not i'm still going to keep playing and practicing it try to play as much competitive golf as I can on my weeks off. Well, within your TV job, you are known as a meticulous note-taker who leaves no stone unturned. So so quickly before we run off here, what's the, the tail of the tape on the qualifier course? Because in order to get to St. Andrews, you got to get you got one step in between here. How much of a scouting report have you done on the course you're going to tackle the Monday after the Open in well, qualification? Well, I signed up to play a course uh, by the name of Scott's Craig. And I signed up for that course because that's where I qualified for the Open in 1995. So, you know, I have a vague recollection of it, but I'm getting over to Scotland early. Both my wife and I are flying over early to play St. Andrews um, on Friday. And then I'm headed up to play and scout out and look at Scott's Craig on Saturday and Sunday before I'll have a rehearsal sometime on Sunday. And then, you know, come Monday, I'll be uh, <laughs> I'll be scouting Carnoustie and diving into every everything I can about every player that's got a chance to win that week. So, again, it's like having two jobs, really three <laughs> jobs, because you know I'm I'm still doing research for you know a, a book that was sort of put on hold, um, but I'll I'll have to finish that up uh, in the fall. So, my plate's pretty darn full. Well, you mentioned your wife, Bailey, uh, who is another one of our, our Golf Channel colleagues here. Did I hear correctly that, that she is in line for a potential uh, caddying gig should uh, yeah. should things fall into place here and you qualify for the, the Senior Open? Well, I, I, I told her if I make the Open at St. Andrews that um, it's kind of up to her. I mean, it's not an easy job. You know, it, it, it seems to get a lot more glory than, you know, I've had friends in the past say, I really want a caddy. And they get out there and like, wow, this is, A, it's hard, and B, it's not that much fun, you know, especially when the weather's bad. So I told her, you know, if she wants to, you know, caddy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, the practice rounds at St. Andrews and just see how it goes, then then, uh, then I'm all for it. Uh, but I also want her to have a good time. You know, if I qualify, I want her to walk with a couple of my friends are coming over, you know, um, so I want her to be able to walk and enjoy it. So it's kind of up to her, really. But uh, um, she really wants to caddy. She can. She can certainly do it. But like you know, just imagine the winds blowing 30 miles an hour. <laughs> imagine it raining. Imagine it being cold. 
you know, you got rain suits and umbrellas and towels and, you know, it's, it's really, you know, not that much fun. I had a buddy of mine years ago when I qualified for the tournament of champions at Maui, um, which sounds fabulous, right? He wanted to caddy. Mm -hmm. I said, sure, you can caddy. Now that is the hilliest golf course on the PGA tour. And the wind blew 30, 40 the whole week and it rained the whole week. And, you know, about halfway through Friday's round, I heard him mumbling and I, I, I was like, what are you mumbling about? And he's like, oh, yeah, come out to Maui and caddy. Just, you know, we'll go scuba dive in the afternoon. He's like, you didn't tell me if this is the hilliest golf course in the world. <laughs> the weather was going to be so bad. You know, and I was like, yeah, I know. Caddy and sounds, you know, it sounds like it's all glamorous and a lot of fun. But those guys, they earn their pay. It's a hard job. So I suspect Bailey will be on the sidelines um, cheering me on, maybe having, you know, a little bubbly. <laughs> a little champagne at the turn, you know, or you know, tea and biscuits is more her speed. There you um, go. But uh, but it should be fun regardless. Oh, I think even in the wind and the rain, there's no such thing as a bad walk uh, across the old course at St. Andrews. That's, That's that fact. is one of the That's one of the best spots that uh, our game has. Absolutely. And, and certainly, let's put it this way: it would be a good problem for you to have, right? If we need That's to figure right. out some last minute caddy. Yeah, yeah, he's going to play with me at St. Andrews. Um, what is it, the Friday, uh, July 13th. Mm -hmm. So yep. my good friend, Eamon Lynch, his birthday is, is uh, that, that 13th. And so he and I and Bailey are going to play there with another friend. So we've already got a tee time. So, I'm, there you, go. you know, if I qualify, I'll at least have a scouting report on St. Andrews. So. Of all the courses, we can, we can talk all day long about how golf ball distance is ruining the game. But the old course has been there for 200 years and pretty much looks – Looks about the same as it was back in the day. So that's one that the yardage book is still going to be good from July 13th. That's for sure. But, uh, well, we wish you the very best uh, in qualifying. I will say I think it's admirable that you say you're not going to hit balls during the open week. I know you're going to be busy with TV stuff. You and I both know it gets dark at about midnight in Scotland. I would encourage you to at least hit a few if you can. You're going to have some time on one on one side of things or not. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll you're see how things right go. about that. I probably will have a little time to – sneak out and had a golf ball or two you know um uh, maybe I'll, maybe i'll do that you know um i'll have bailey and amen and some other friends over there scouting it out for me so well, maybe that'll work out <laughs> well uh hopefully next time we we get to talk we'll be talking about your your major championship appearance uh, at the old course certainly uh <laughs> i hope you're right Will. it'll I'd be good to. but uh we appreciate you hopping on as always love to hear your thoughts on, uh, on everything that's going on at a busy time of the PGA Tour season, the European Tour season. It's all happening right now. We're only a few weeks away from the PGA Championship in Bell Reeve, and then the, the Ryder Cup will be here before we know it. So thanks again, Brandall. This has been uh, the Golf Channel podcast presented by Top Golf, and it's available at golfchannel.com slash podcast and your favorite podcast provider. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, Google Play, search Golf Channel Podcast and subscribe from there. If you love the show, even if you just like the show, feel free to leave a rating, a review, tell your friends. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been a, a Golf Channel podcast with Brandel Chambly. I'm your host, Will Gray. We'll see you next time. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.